What's going on today? Hope the day is treating you well. Wanted to let you know the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today. Drew and the crew over at Muskoka are waiting for you to help you with your spray foam needs. Be sure to check out msfi.ca today. We're also proudly brought to you by Boone Contracting. They pride themselves on excellent customer service and quality workmanship. They specialize in every aspect of contracting, residential or commercial, from complete custom renovations, decks, fencing and more. Be sure to check out boonecontracting.ca. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, I am very lucky to be joined today by the one and the only David Ling. He is a professional hockey player, has played in almost every professional league you can look at. You go look at his hockey DB and is absolutely littered not only with talent, but different teams he has played with. David, thank you very much for taking the time today. Oh, no problem, I really enjoy these shows you know being done to the game being able to get back and talk about it it's uh it's uh it helps with the transition what i find funny is when doing research to get this all ready for today i look at the wikipedia page and it doesn't say retired it says your start date and it still says present underneath your playing time so it hasn't listed you as officially done are you officially done well i, I unless one of the teams calls so you tell me <laughs> yes i no i just haven't announced i still play uh the this i played in east coast league a couple of years ago but i play in the the senior league in ontario and, uh, with the hamilton steelhawks and it's uh it's it's actually becoming a lot of ex-pros mostly pro guys so it's really actually good caliber hockey well something that's been proposed before is kind of like a senior circuit for the nhl almost so to speak I'm wondering if that's something that you might be a fan of. I mean, I've heard guys like Brett Hall talk about it, uh, Yammer Yager, obviously. He never wants to hang up the skates, but they're kind of for it. Would that be something you'd be interested in, or is it better to kind of have it a little bit less stakes and kind of ease it off a little? I, I, I was, I've always been one of the guys. Was, I played with numerous guys that as soon as they said they're done, they're done. They don't even play rec league. They threw their skates out, and they can't even play in their skates. I'm a guy that uh, you'll be – You'll be pushing me off the ice because I I can't skate anymore. I'll play until you know until I can't. So I I'm I I'd be up for anything. I love the competition. I just love playing. Well, there's another guy that's in Toronto right now. I don't know if you know him or heard of his name, Kevin Porter. Um, that guy absolutely works his tail off. He had a late start to hockey due to stuff in life, but he's absolutely trying to make it as a beast. And I think he's 42, and he's just pushing as hard as he can to try to make it into the game. And he's had a few tryouts with ECHL and all that kind of stuff. But when you get to, you know, the 40s and stuff like that, teams don't really look at you or, you know, have the time of day, I guess, sort of speak. So I guess for me, that's why I'd look at a senior league and it'd be kind of fun. I mean, to hear you say that you're going to push you off the ice, it's it's definitely a good thing for some guys. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I follow Kevin on social media and I've been on the ice with him a couple times. And, uh, you know, he... He isn't giving up, and it, he's uh, actually a, pre- a pretty good player. So I hope something something turns out for him. But it's, you know, I I I love waking up in the morning and seeing his his training. He trains like a beast, and uh, it's uh, it's almost crazy. Well, watching him do the uh, what the, the bike, the air shredder there with the full gear on, just to simulate the the feeling of doing a shift in hockey. That is something that not a lot of guys would do, but 
there he is just pushing through it and of course he's out on the front line being a paramedic firefighter he's out there helping everybody too so he's got no quit i always tell him when i talk to him he's got an engine like kevin hurt in the rock the guy doesn't sleep he's just constantly going you know what it it would if he could transfer his uh work ethic to other players there'd be other players making an awful lot of money (laughs) well i always tell him you know if it never works out for getting onto the ice to be a player i think he'd make one hell of a skills coach i think he'd be right in there and definitely getting guys to to do different things you look at gary roberts after he retired and what he's done with a lot of NHL players, just the fitness regime and the different things that he does. I look at Kevin and say, that could be exactly what he does afterwards. Yeah, for sure. I think that he, he knows how to train and he, you know, I watch him and he's doing, he's doing the right stuff. So hopefully he can, uh, some team gives him a chance somewhere. That's true. Well, for yourself, what are you doing to stay in shape during COVID? Are you riding the bike? You out running? Obviously ice time's probably, you know, very sparingly right now. No, I've always been a, a uh, gym guy and a, and, a, and a fitness guy. I, you know, so I get a, I try to get a workout in every uh, every day, whether it's outside or inside. Well, that's never bad. I mean, for me, I try to take the little ones for walks and stuff like that. But I'm definitely missing the gym and the midsection starting to show it. So <laughs> I'm not a finely tuned athlete, need, but I'd like but, to be in shape. But I do, I do need someone to. I think I need someone to sew my mouth shut because uh, when you're home so much, you eat, you eat more. <laughs> that's true. The boredom there. I'm lucky for me. My my company hasn't quit or hadn't any drawbacks yet, so we've been going full tilt, even actually a little bit more than usual. So keep the working going. But when you get home and everybody's home and been home all day, the snacks are flying and things are made. So you come home to it all. I know. Yeah, I think I might have gained the COVID nineteen. <laughs> I think everybody's in that belt. I think it's going to be coming out and everybody's going to be looking a little bit more round. But you know what? You take appreciation for the fact that everybody's safe and healthy. And that's the best part about it. Yeah, I, I gotta, for sure. It could have been a lot worse. Okay, could have been a lot worse for sure. Didn't mean to, to cut you off there. I was going to ask you, though. I mean, for yourself and your playing career, you got off to being drafted by the Quebec Nordiques that got transferred into being the Colorado Avalanche. How did you feel about drafting? I mean, obviously, it's a lot different than, you know, the big show and everything that goes on today, the grand stage of it all. But for you... Where did you feel your draft here? Did you feel like you're going to get drafted? Did you feel you're going to go in a certain round? What goes into the mentality when you're getting ready for that? Well, you know, it, it was you know back in the '90s, it was uh, it was a size game, and uh, the game has evolved every every decade. But I, being five nine, and, and in, in the time that I played, I had to uh, I had to prove that I was bigger somehow and I and I and I try to do that by by fighting you know he, they didn't draft many players under six feet at the time and uh you had to had to earn it so when I was going into the draft you know I my numbers everything but my size and maybe my speed were, were keeping me back but I, I I had confidence that I might get drafted and uh, you know it wouldn't have been the end if I didn't and I ended up going to the draft in Quebec City and got drafted by the Nordiques so it was you know it's one of the top three rememberable moments and and you know you can't get they never can take that day away no it'd be an amazing feeling to get drafted I mean you watch a lot of guys and when they talk about it was it for you was it for a phone call who who reached out to you when you got drafted actually I was in the Coliseum in, in Quebec when it and it was all the rounds were were live and and I was sitting there waiting that you know so it was I was right there in the in the rink when I, when I got drafted. That is awesome. 
So you went from there all the way over to the uh, the Calgary Flames organization. Um, did you know there was a trade afoot? Did you know something was coming when the move happened from Quebec to Colorado? Uh, did you have any sense, or was it just something that caught you off guard? Yeah, you know, I think uh, Colorado wasn't interested in signing me, and I, there's a rule. There's a rule where if you don't sign within two years, you just go back in the draft. And uh, so they made a trade right near the the deadline, and I signed a contract with Calgary. You know, I, I don't even know if I knew the the financial uh, aspects of the contract. I just wanted to sign my name and get going. Well, you, you look at a lot of guys, you talk about the fighting aspect of the game, and there's a lot of people, you know, when they get into the league, they're thinking of guys they're going to square up against. For you, when you jumped into the NHL, even the AHL, were there guys that you were looking for, or was there someone that you wanted to go after to kind of like cement yourself as, hey, I'm here, this is what I do, don't mess with my guys? Is there someone that you were looking for? Yeah, you know, like there was, my. it started, I... I grew up in Charlottetown, and Forby Kennedy was my junior coach for a couple of years before I went on to the OHL. And he taught me, uh, you know, he taught me the the physical aspect of the game, and he showed me uh, that you protect uh, the good players, you protect your goalie, and sometimes you fight when you're in a slump. So there's there's different reasons why 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 people people fight, and it's it's ideally to help the team. And uh, when I went to the OHL, I started out fighting in fear and and I, I i don't know if i want to fight in my first 60 fights but i i learned i learned i think th- there was a process for me i learned how to get beat up then i learned how not to get punched and then i learned how to to win a fight so it was a three-step thing that took uh it took a lot of beatings before i could handle myself what was one guy that you squared up against that you instantly had that moment like oh this is going to happen and this is not going to be one that i want to be in well, there was my first year in the in the OHL. Uh, I fought most of the heavyweights, and then when I say fought, I mean I got beat up. But there was Matt Johnson, who was six six, he kept chasing me around, and I knew at some point I was going to have to uh, to fight him. And you know, I didn't have I didn't have too much fear, but I had some fear then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean fighting. You know, a lot of people say that it has no place in the game today. And for me, I'm one of those people that say it still does have a spot, especially like what you just mentioned, in protecting players from dirty hits and dirty things that go on and protecting the goaltender. I'm wondering for you, being a guy that, you know, did fight and, you know, had it in your game, do you think it's something that still belongs in hockey or is it something that is going to go the way of the Dodo Bird? Uh, you know what, I, 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 I do believe that there should be some aspect of, of the fighting. I do... I've been in the I've been in the game and watched it evolve, and I do know the game is faster, and I know the game is skilled, and I know you can't have the fourth line dummy because that can't play. I I know that, but I think there is there should be like the Tuchucks now. I think there should be repercussions when when things happen and and you fight, and there's guys that are you know very valuable to, to their team now that do fight like like the Tuchucks on both teams like those. Those guys are valuable, valuable, and every team is looking for them still. But you have to be able to play. So I, I do think that fighting should be. I think the fans love the fighting, but I don't think that it should be the way it used to be. Well, I look at a fight now, and you can look around the rink when a fight happens, or even like you said, the Chuck boys when they're mixing it up with guys, whether it's Dowdy, whether it's Cassian, 
Um, you know, whether it's Tom Wilson doing something, everybody is on their feet. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's excited about it. You know, so to see everybody say, well, it needs to go away. It needs to disappear. But then to see everybody on the same foot jump up and get excited by it, you know that it belongs there. And it definitely sets a tone because sometimes the referees don't see everything, don't call everything, and you have to make guys accountable. And if you don't I, make guys accountable on that ice, it just becomes a problem, and we've seen it before. Yeah, you know, I, I, I love the, the hard battle fight. I don't like the, you know, I, I shouldn't say it. I do like the stage fights. I know it doesn't have any place in the game anymore. But I do like driving to the net and two guys bumping into each other and, you know, having a fight or you hit me hard last game and I'm going to get you and we, we decide to fight. Like those things I, I feel are, are should be still part of the game. And I think it takes away some of the guys that think that I can stick you or I can I can say something to you because you can't fight me and you can't do anything and, and whatnot. And the ref will give you a two-minute penalty and I'll cause my team. So I think that... There has to be uh, a happy medium, but I think that no way should you take fighting out. And the names that you just said, every team in the NHL is looking for those guys and trying to trying to duplicate them and, and replicate them with, with guys they have in their system, and a lot of teams can't do it. And those, those, those five, six guys that you named are very, very valuable, especially when going into the playoffs when the, the game gets bigger and stronger and becomes a board game. Well, being a, a Maple Leaf-centric podcast, we were very happy – when we got Kyle Clifford, because a lot of people say that he doesn't bring much value, but if you watch the things that he does and how he answers the bell, and basically it's him and Jake Muzzin against the world, sometimes Zach Hyman, but you need those. And, I mean, you've seen what happened with a team like the Maple Leafs when they didn't have any of that pushback. They basically just got shoved around and it was over. So, you know, it, I, I am a firm believer that that is something that needs to be there, and it's, it's a tone setter is what it is. And I look at guys like yourself – and like you said, your coach instilling you. You got to protect those guys, protect your goalie. And you know, if you don't have that, I keep going back to the Maple Leafs. So, you know, you see what happens. Skill guys are great, but when the grind comes, sometimes they can't hack it. Yeah, no, I, I and I totally agree. I think that you know, like McDavid, I'm sure is uh, is happy to have Cassian nearby, and you know, he might not. He might not say it, but he, you know, it, it adds it, it adds to his game. I'm sure it adds to everyone's game. It makes everyone it makes everyone bigger on your bench. And the, you know, the, the Leafs that the Leafs are missing someone like Clifford. And when they got him, they they, they became a better team. But I still think they need uh, another big guy that that adds some of that same style that can that can play and has speed. No, definitely. Well, again, few and far between, and I mean, the Leafs have tried to replicate it. You look at a Freddie Goche, a Pierre Ingwall, uh, you look in the system, they have a few more guys that are coming up, but there's nobody that's got that all those intangibles where they can score, they can hit, they can fight, they can chirp, they're good on the ice with skating. It's not all there. So, yeah, it's it's a breed that's that, that you need to grow in the junior ranks, but a lot of guys now are seeing where the money is and the money's in going and being, you know, a goal scorer or, you know, or a great playmaker or just fast skating and things like that. That's where the game's going. But like you said, these are rare unicorn kind of players. They're getting their due too. You look at Tom Wilson, the contract he signed. I mean, it's there if you're willing to work for it. Yeah, there's another guy that, and he doesn't fight that much and doesn't need to, but he's, he, I would put him in the same category as a big, strong, physical guy that that causes a lot of havoc. It's, it's, it's Bufflin, and I wonder what, what team he will go to uh, next year. 
<laughs> well, here's the thing with Buffalo. I mean, you had to deal with the Jets. He walked away from $14 million. Um, apparently, he still has the desire to play. So, I mean, if the NHL's next season doesn't start until January, which is the proposed date, he's got all the time in the world to heal that foot, get in shape, get ready. And you know what? It'd be nice to see him go to a team that has a legit chance and him sign for, like, a Jason Spezza-type deal, maybe a million dollars, and go out and just build his and go after it. But he's a guy, you, I remember vividly him in a Winnipeg Jet uniform, grabbing the two Vegas guys, dragging them off and throwing them back like they were two school children. I mean, and that's a guy yeah. you want. <laughs> yeah, maybe the maybe our lease can get, get him. Who knows? <laughs> it, it, you know what? I, I've said it before. It's pie in the sky dreaming, but, I mean, with the cap being the way it is, and if you can go out and re-sign Jason Spezza for 700 k because apparently he wants to come back, and you get a Dustin Bufflin for a million dollars, I mean, if you put him on D, your defense is already looking bigger and meaner. You re-signed Muzzin already. So, I mean, yeah, getting a guy like that on the cheap, whew. It yeah, they're, they're, they're so valuable. So, so valuable. But for yourself, I mean, I look at your numbers throughout your career, and we'll just talk about the NHL and the AHL for right now. I mean, in the AHL, I mean, you put up the numbers. What was it in the AHL? You look at guys like yourself, and I, I referenced TJ Brennan, guys who put up wicked numbers in the AHL. Is it just because it's a little bit maybe a step behind the uh, the NHL that you're able to get the, the minutes and the time and maybe a little bit more power play structure and things like that? Or what was it for you that the AHL just seemed to be uh, your bread and butter for putting up points? Well, you know, I, 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 I had I had offensive skill, and I was a, a slower player. And I just, I, when I did go up in the NHL, I didn't get the opportunity to play, play the power play where you know I, I, I made a, I made a pretty good living just on the power play in the minors. So, it, did the opportunity, and you know, it, I had to probably play offensively in the top six forwards, and I don't think that uh, I could at the time. But you know, I, I accepted the role. I knew. I knew it's if I wanted to get up, I would have to to fight and play a different game. So I kept that game, tried to keep that game into uh, my uh, my repertoire in in the minors. And you know, I'd I'd go some. It's funny because some days I'd I'd go up, I'd play a game, and and I'd be asking everyone to fight, and I'd go back down and play in the American League, and I'd be on the power play playing thirty minutes. So it was kind of <laughs> like a it was a weird transition both ways, but. You know, it got me. It got me to get the games that I did in the NHL. So, uh, oh, so yeah, who knows? No, no. Well, I look at it like in you know, you look at your penalty minutes for for every season. I mean, they jump off the page, except for when you went over across season. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But there's one season in particular I want to ask you about, and it's the the 0405 season where you were with the St. John Maple Leafs. On uh, 80 games, you got 28 goals, 66, 88 points, 152 penalty minutes. Just wondering for for you, what happened at the end of that season that you didn't re-sign with the Leafs that year, and you spent two years over in Russia with uh, with Moscow? Yeah, you know, I the, it was the lockout year, and uh, and um, it was you know they they say it's one of the best years in the American Hockey League talent wise. I think Cam- Camilleri and and Spezza were one two in the scoring race. You know, I had played. My line was me and Kyle Wellwood and, and uh, Nathan Barrett, who Kyle Wellwood went on and played tons of games in the NHL, and he was, you know, one of the most talented American League players I played against. So it was, it was, uh, 
that year we Doug Shedden who was coaching I got every opportunity to, to to play and put numbers up and some of the some of the assists were just giving it to Wellwood and watching him uh, do some do some magic so you know it was it was a fun year and we had a we had a really really tough team we had a bunch of uh, we had one heavyweight and a bunch of seven or eight middleweights that when one guy fought the the bench vibrated because they wanted to be out there doing it, and so it was a it was a good group. We ended up going uh, a, a a long way and ended up losing to another good team in Manitoba, I think. And uh, but the lockout killed a lot of players, and then it killed me. It went the people went in a different direction, which totally understood. Who wants a thirty year old fourth liner on, on on your team? So it was, it was one of those things where. Uh, I wasn't the only player that played a full season the year before in the NHL, and then the lockout killed me. And you know, it was time financially. Russia was calling and offering some money, so you know, it was it was it was time to the NHL pushed me out. It was time to go over. So your two seasons over there with Russia with with Spar- Spartak and Dynamo. I'm wondering for you, what was it like going over there? Where was it? You know, easily accepting was the language barrier a problem? Um, what was it like for you? Did you have anybody else on the team to to kind of lean on? Yeah, you know, I I went over there and I, I signed with uh, I signed with it's it's I was terrified. I tried to do as much homework as I could before I went over there. I heard uh, horror stories. It, it was it was the old Super League. There was there was goalies getting killed in elevators. There it was just you were getting paid and. Brown bags. There's no banks being being using transfer. So you know, I could write I could write a book about it. But I went over there and uh, I remember someone saying, "Don't." I had some upfront money, and they said, "Don't don't go on the ice until you get your upfront money because it's basically a free trial, and they want to look at it." So I was there for a couple of days and not going on. And I was watching the the players, and Datsuk was there before he left, and I was like, I. I don't know if I can play here. Like all the players, every player was was skilled, and they wouldn't they wouldn't they wouldn't give my upfront money. So I called, I actually called a buddy that down the who who was on Spartech and Tyler Moss, and he said we'll take it and we'll uh, we'll take your contract. So I ended up jumping in a car and driving down the across Moscow into the, the other team and, and then ended up signing there the first year and then ended up going back to the other team the next year. But I, I originally signed with the Moscow Dynamo team and then and things didn't work out because of their Russian ways and I, and I moved to Spartak who was uh, a team with uh, that wasn't as, as good at the time and we ended up having a, a, a pretty good year and, and, and being middle of the pack which, which was... Uh, Overachieving for our team. Now the I could write a book about the country. It's uh, <laughs> it was scary going. It was scary going to get uh, groceries. It was scary going to the to the rink. Everyone, there was no rules on the road. Cars were driving on the sidewalks. People were drunk everywhere. You know, it was it was it was it was scary. And it was it was for a little while. It was eye opening and interesting. And you know, I was, but it, it 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 takes toll on you. And I'm not a video game guy I need to be out and about so it was it was a long long two years well I mean in that two years I mean just purely on the ice and the fan aspect of things would you put it on pace with the North American fan bases or are they a little bit more rabid over there in what way 
in in just like they, when you're losing, they're on you, and when you're your highest of the highs, they they praise you better. Is it is it like that, like North American style, or is it just uh, like you see with the soccer uh, factions? If you're losing, they're coming after your car. Yeah, the the, the Russians in general are even your teammates in the room. If you if you're helping the team win, you're your superstar and if you causes cause the team to lose you're a complete idiot for until you till you make it make a good play. So it's it's the it's the culture that they ride the highs and, and bury in the lows. So it's the the fans are on you and, and think you're the, the best team in the world if you're winning and first loss and you're the you're the worst team going and uh, they could they could cause ruckus because I've seen uh, buses been shaken and and different things. It's like it's a different world. They're more like the hooligans in the in the soccer. Yeah, that's that's basically what I was leaning towards. Is it like that? That's that's absolutely insane. So I mean, it's almost like being a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Then the way they get treated in the city, the highs and the lows, man. If you're on the lows of the Maple Leafs, you, there there ain't nobody who want to talk to you, and you, you may put your head down and get to work. Yeah, no, it's and you know it's. Most hockey players like that pressure. You know, you want to be good, and if you're not good, you get uh, get shit on. So I think that it it it's part of the competitive competitiveness in the in the athlete. And uh, but it does suck when you're on the on the losing end when you're dealing with people that pretend or or act like they don't like you. <laughs> well, after your two seasons in Russia, you came back and actually joined the Toronto Marlies. Um, how did that come about? Who reached out to you and what was that vibe feeling when someone called you and said, "Hey, do you want to come back to the Marlies and play here?" I mean, signing with the Toronto Maple Leafs again. It's actually, you know what? It's funny because everyone, everyone thinks they reach out to you and do this. My dad, my dad ended up getting uh, sick in my last year in, in Russia, and I wanted to, uh, I want to come back closer to, to Charlottetown where where he was, and he was uh, he had a year left left to live at the time, and I called Toronto and said, "Listen, can I?" I'm in this situation. Can we form some kind of contract? And and you know what? They were really good. They they wanted me back. They didn't know I would come back, and they they uh, and they allowed me to go home to Charlottetown as much as I could. So it was a it was a I reached out, and it was a perfect situation. And they were so supportive. Where sometimes people feel like organizations or or, or sports teams don't care about their athletes. Well, that year I, I really did take an understanding of how they, they they like treated me as a person, let alone you know, I, I worked hard for them and I gave them an effort on the ice, but they, they, they allowed me and 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 sometimes pushed me home to, to go see my dad. So it was uh looking back it was I you know, that's where I really gained respect for the, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. See those are stories that you don't get to hear very often, you know, things like that and that's amazing that you get to spend that time with your dad and be closer to home. Because, I mean, that's time that you can't get back. And I'm sure you would have found a way, either way, to make that happen. But for them to to get you on the ice and make sure you're well taken care of and make sure to push you towards being there more, that's, that's, that's awesome to hear. Because those are things that you don't hear. You always hear all of the negative things that come with teams and ownership and, you know, different ways of dealing with things. So to hear that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it and it, it it really stuck with me and and really, you know, I I have stories where teams treat you like like you're a piece of uh, 
piece of crap where, you know, they need you at one day and they don't want to talk to you ever again. So there's, there's all those stories. And I'm sure guys have the same stories with both Toronto Maple Leafs good and bad. So it's, it's just every situation is different. And for me, they, they, they got a fan that day. <laughs> well, speaking of a fan, seemingly you are a fan of the Maple Leafs. So talk about your time there. You spent a little time with the Providence Bruins. Uh, in the Bruins organization. How was that, and how was being on a little bit? I know at that time wasn't the rivalry that they have now, but obviously still an original six franchise with the Providence Bruins uh, being the baby team for the, the Boston Bruins. How did that go, and how was that city, and how did everything go with the, the Providence Bruins? How did you like that? It, it, there's a, it, this, that comes about on another another journey I had. I was, uh, I was playing in a... In a in Russia that he, uh, at the time, and I was actually Alex McGillney was our director of personnel, uh, director of personnel, and and the GM, and he had named me captain, and uh, in, in on the Russian team. So, 15, 18 games in, they uh, they fire the coach, and then over there, the coaches and the agents are in cahoots with each other, and they split money out of contracts, and that's a that's another story. But anyway, so usually when the usually when a coach over there gets fired, and they bring in another Russian coach, that the the imports get fi- get fired as well, and they bring in new new imports that are with the agent and the coach, so they can so they can steal more money. <laughs> and so I was just I I I, I was. Um, I was trying to get my green card, and I knew I had to go play in the U.S. At t- I had to play while I applied. So I, all I was, all I wanted to do, I got my money from that Russian team, and all I wanted to do was go play in East Coast League and 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 get my green card, finish the year, and then see what the next year brought. But I called a buddy of mine who I had in Kingston, at Wayne Smith, who was a head scout for the Bruins at the time, and I said, Wayne, I said, do you have any? Uh, do you know anyone that needs a? 30-year-old forward, and, and he he goes, you know what, you called on the right day because we need one. So it worked out where they, you know, I probably called four days later. I, I they, they wouldn't have need, needed me, and they, they signed me to a, an American League deal prorated to the days I missed, and I came into Providence, and, you know, there was a lot of young players in the game, and the American League had changed a little bit. and But to, to, to wear a Bruins... A Bruins uniform. It was it was it was exciting. We had a lot of uh, that that part of uh, that part of the United States is really big of the the Boston Bruins, and there was a lot of following, to, similar to the to when I was in Newfoundland and then in Toronto with the with the with the Baby Leafs and stuff. So it's it was it was a very I wasn't there. I was there three quarters of the year and, and really had a had a had a ball. You know, there was Michael Hutchinson was a rookie in that. There, you know, there was. There was quite a few players that have gone on to Kevin Miller. There was a couple that that that, that played there that that have gone on in the NHL. So it was it was that's how that came about, and I really enjoyed enjoyed my time. Brian McGratton came came that year. It came down, so it was it was fun. There was a it was a, I never played in in that part of the American League uh, in the in the split schedules. I never got to to play in the Bridgeports and and and, and whatnot. So it was it was uh, it was fun. I really enjoyed that year, and you know I. I realized that uh, the game was getting faster, and and and, it, and from there to now, it's 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 evolved even faster. Well, that was something I was going to ask. Being in the league and in the game since '95, being drafted, I'm wondering for you, you know, what is the biggest change that you've seen aside from the speed? 
what is the the change in mentality from players from the 90s to now and I mean like I said off the hop it doesn't list you as retired and you can look at your hockey DB and it, it has a 2018-2019 stat line there so you're not far removed so I mean for you from that point to this point what is the biggest change that you see in players uh, this you know when in in a in a quick in a quick reflection I, I I look at the game the size of the players now and the speed of the players those big guys couldn't skate when I first started now the big guys can fly so that's one thing and then then the other way I try to to explain it is when I was starting out in the in the 90s playing the American League and we'd go on a bus trip and the coach would buy 48 beer or the team would buy 48 beer and everyone would be fist fighting to see who got the most and tried stealing some to hide it so you could have it for later and there'd be zero beer left an hour later and you'd be begging the coach to stop to get more and in the last 10 years now you put 24 beer or or, or 24 beer on the bus and you you end up having 15 left at the end of the trip guys are into into video games and and protein shakes which is uh which is a positive because there was a lot of uh there was a lot of partying and and and, and drinking beer that probably could have been cut back and i think that's one of the, one of the big differences is the is the beer drinking and uh, and the cultures changed a lot with the player where they're more focused on and i don't know if they're more focused or they just realize that if they're not if they're not into the training they're going to be four steps behind instead of one like we used to be so it's uh and there's a lot of money on the line for them so i think the player and the culture of the of the training and the and the, and the fitness and the food and the and the Diet, dieting and and whatnot. I think that has changed in the culture. The the AHL teams and the NHL teams. I know the AHL teams now have two meals at the rink for the players. They want to control what goes in their bodies, and and they want to control when they're when they're eating and when they're not. So I think it's it's it it's really really important that they they follow these measurements. I, I I've even heard guys having sleep coaches so they get the the, the best sleep and to maximize their their rest. So I think there's that's the, that's the big difference: the speed, the size, and the culture of the player. Well, I know now in the OHL and the QMJHL, I, I can't speak for the Western League, but I have heard the same thing where teams are structuring the meal plans, having meals ready at the rink um, as soon as the players get there, making sure that they're you know in bed at a certain time, you know, and optimizing. Okay, this is when everybody peaks for training. This when everybody peaks for you know needing rest, and you look at the uh, I think it was the Vancouver Canucks, the entire organization actually had the sleep experts there, telling them when they should be going to sleep, especially on the long road trips, and just watching these things from when I started watching hockey when I was young to now, and it's just like so many things go into getting a guy ready, and I I, I listen to guys like Steve Seftel and everybody talk about now you as well, you know back in the day when the season was done. You used to go to training camp to get in shape. Now these guys are coming to training camp in shape, and they're just getting fine-tuned. So it's completely different from what it used to be. Yeah, old Steve, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, no, I just I just use it as a comparable. You know, two great guys. That's all I was going for. <laughs> just, just training when I started was was big. And it was, but it was combined with the, the culture of the, the drinking and the, and the partying and the staying up late and getting up early. And 
and in the last ten years, that's that's changed. We used, used to used to trade the guy that didn't drink. I think they trade the guy that drinks now. So it's <laughs> it's just a different culture, and I think it's there's no way in in anyone's right mind that they can say that the game isn't faster and better and more skilled than it was even five years ago. And I just it's it's almost exciting when you try to reflect on what's going to be. Can it get any better five years from now? Can there be a uh, player that's better than McDavid or better than Crosby? So you know, it, those are the those are the questions I like looking at. Like, what about in five years or ten years looking back? Like, is there going to be a be another another shift jump in jump in the speed, or are they going to have to make the rinks bigger just because the speed? Because if it gets any faster, there's there's just not enough room. They're they're going so fast, and there's going to be be injuries. So I think that that's what excites me is watching how the game is going to evolve in the next five years and see where it goes. No, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what the next level is, and it seems like there's always going to be another gear, another way to modify and get going. i got to ask you, though, you use the word culture a lot, and it's a thing that's a ripe in hockey right now, whether it be women's hockey, the National Hockey League, junior hockey. For you, being a player who has played over a long period of time and are a little bit removed, what do you think needs to happen with hockey culture to make it not only more accepting across the board, but to grow the game and grow awareness of the game the right way. What do you think needs to happen in that regard with everything that's gone on lately? Oh, uh, you know, I think that, uh, I think, I think the game's moving in a really good direction. I think that, uh, some of the issues that, that, uh, hockey, the NHL and minors, and that the issues that they deal with, I think every institution and every walk of life deals with the same situations they're just magnified when they are on the on in the in the in the scope of things so i think that you know it's moving in the right direction you're always going to have situations that you deal with and the way that the 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 league and the teams have been dealing with the with the situations or is uh, is very positive you know if you let let them slide and let things happen and there's no accountability then you're not going to improve and there's you're always going to have negative situations that make any game look look bad and you're going to have positive situations that make the game look good and i think the the game and the and the people are moving in the, the in the right direction and i think that uh you know we don't like hearing all the negative but it adds to the whole like the whole culture of the game you know no one wants robots skating around the ice talking to no one or, or talking the same way you got to have some you got to have some personalities and 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 be able to show that off and i think that uh that that there is improvement but i think that the culture of the game and the and the leadership in the organizations is is in the right direction well that's something i agree with you on 100 percent about the not only just the accountability, but also the you need personality. And I like guys like P.K. Subban. I like guys like Max Domi, Brendan Gallagher. I like what Austin Matthews did with the whole year at Madhouse. I like Patty Kane, you know, guys that like to have fun. I like what Ovechkin did with the hot stick, even though he got in hot water for it. I like those things. Those things not only sell the player, but also add a little bit of fun to the game. And I don't like the notion that if you do those things at the National Hockey League level, that you know, kids down at the junior level start hot dogging like that. Well, sometimes it's okay to have a little fun, and sometimes it's okay to let a little loose. And like you said, the roboticness 
it doesn't lend itself to, to fan-friendly TV. You want to see personality. You want to peel back the label. And that's one of the lucky things that we get to do when you do a show like this, like a podcast, is you can talk to a guy and you can hear some of the behind-the-scenes stuff and stuff you wouldn't usually get to do. And I want to say I thank you very much for stopping by. But before I, before I wrap it up with you, I want to ask you, obviously the NHL is moving towards a playoff format this summer with the 24 teams. The Leafs are playing in the play-in. Are they your team this year? And what damage do you think the Maple Leafs can do fully healthy and ready to go? You know, I, I, I have, I'm I, an adopted Leaf fan. I grew up a Red Wings fan, but I'm an adopted Leaf fan just because I've been in Ontario and, and East Coast is, is mainly mainly Leafs. But I'm uh, if I had to pick a team, they, that would be my team to, to win it this year. I, I'm 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 Canada first. I would, I'd, I'd love to see a Canadian team win soon, and uh, you know, if it can be Toronto, then then that'll be that'll be good too. I like the the ideas of the format coming out. I'm I'm also uh, I really enjoy that they are going to have a, a playoffs in a Stanley Cup and just not wash it off because there has been uh, you know there's been a fair bit of the season played already, and and guys want to be 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 raising the cup and playing in the playoffs. So I think that that's a good step and hopefully it all works out because this, uh, this COVID-19 has really put some, uh, different, different views and different, uh, plans in people's, people's plates. It is actually, you know, it's put a, a huge dent in everyone, to be honest, you know, not just morale wise, but just the fear going out, the fear of doing this or catching it or losing someone, you know? So I look at hockey and I look at sports when they come back as a way everybody can kind of rally together, support your team, support the game, you know, have fun with one another, you know, banter back and forth, much like this. And, you know, those things are needed right now to help people, you know, get excited. And when the NHL announced that they are going to be coming back this summer and they are going to be doing the playoffs, you could see the elation, not just on social media, but just people out when you talk to them that are hockey fans. It's something to look forward to other than looking forward to the daily numbers to hope that they drop and that no one passed away, you know, it's better to look to something positive and hopefully getting on the other side of COVID and enjoying hockey and enjoying life the way that we're used to doing it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I miss, I'm, I miss waking up and watching the, the NHL highlights. So I, I, I hope it hurries up and gets, get back to some sort of normal. <laughs> well, well, David, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're a busy man. Uh, I hope I get to speak with you again when hockey does come back around and we can talk about who's doing what and if the Leafs win it, it'd be the most leafiest thing ever because there'd be no crowd, no parade, barely a celebration, but at least they'd be cup champs. Exactly, yeah, and reach out anytime. I'd love to come back on. So there you have it. That was David Ling, former NHLer, AHLer, KHLer, ECHLer. He has been around the globe playing hockey, and he sat down with us for a great chat there talking about everything. All right, guys, that's Offside for today. Get ready for another one coming up soon. Take her easy, and go Leafs go. 